Hi friends, this is Jonathan Frizz, founder of 10 Days. Earlier this year, I did a series of interviews with my good friend, Greg Healy, attempting to do an in-depth telling of the 10 Days story. 10 Days is a movement that began in 2004. Since then, God has enabled it to expand into a global prayer and unity movement. Trust me, it's taken a lot longer than I initially thought, but after 17 years, it's incredible to see the original vision unfolding before our eyes. Over the years, I've cast vision for 10 days hundreds of times, probably thousands. I've become adept in sharing about 10 days in 30 seconds, five minutes, or 30 minutes, however long they're willing to give me. If it's a really, really good day, I might get an hour to share, which means I can usually get into some pretty cool testimonies. It's been on my heart for some time to do a longer, more leisurely telling where we could really dive deep into the history, the God encounters, the miracles, the mistakes, and the mysteries of this incredible journey. This is the prophetic history of the movement, how we've grown from small beginnings to where we are today. It's also a personal history, a history of faith, fear, tragedy, disappointment, love, and learning how to follow Jesus. In my case, that's often meant learning the hard way. I think this will be an encouragement and an inspiration to you both because of the amazing things that have happened and continue to happen, but also because of the failures and mistakes we've faced along the journey. Hopefully you can avoid some of these pitfalls or else when you encounter whatever you need to encounter and go through what you need to go through, you'll at least know a few things not to do. Following Jesus is the most beautiful thing I can even imagine, but it's also the most painful and it costs us everything. However, at the end of the day, what else are we going to do with our short lives? Why not decide to give everything to the only one found worthy in heaven and on earth, the one who gave everything to make us his own? I hope you enjoy this series. And remember, please subscribe to our podcast as well. These are podcast exclusives, and we hope that you will be encouraged and enjoy them. God bless. So, hey, we're back. Uh, we're, we're starting the next session now, which is going to be focused on 2010 and moving from a retreat setting into a citywide setting. But before we go there, I just had a few follow-up questions, uh, Jonathan, about these retreats and those experiences, the morning. Uh, one of them was that New England uh, Solemn Assembly that happened in 2008. Was that after the fall 10 days of prayer? Uh which coincided with the markets crashing? Yeah, so um, that solemn assembly was during the fall 10 days of prayer. And um, it's been a pattern. And I, if you remember, even in our first year, 2004, the year I got the vision, there's been a pattern of linking 10 days with a larger event, like a solemn assembly or a, yeah, I remember some that. kind right. of a gathering. And uh, so that, that happened. Back, that was New Mexico when that happened first, right? Exactly, exactly. And then 2007, we worked with the Global Day of Prayer, same in 2008. And then this solemn assembly in 2008, um, the leaders of the New England Alliance had just felt like something was going to happen and we needed to be prepared in like repentance to respond to the Lord. There was just a sense of like, we don't know what, but something is going to happen negatively. And, um, you know, and so we need to call people to a solemn assembly. So that was actually so this had the, been in the, the works set. for a while. They had planned the solemn assembly for a while. 
Correct. Yeah, it had been in the works for a while. And um, and so it was planned for that Saturday um, during the 10 days of awe. And um, and so we gathered there in Weymouth. And so it was totally integrated where we were working together. The 10 days was like a smaller group. There was a much larger group at the Psalm Assembly. And we did the same pattern in 2009, except we had the event at Rafool's Church, the Psalm Assembly. So we had a Psalm Assembly in 08. We had one in 2009. And then we would also have one in 2010 that was actually in Plymouth that was the largest of those Psalm Assemblies that we did in the New England region. Oh, okay. The Plymouth Psalm Assembly was 010. All right, so take us to 2010. Why do you think that happened to be this transition, or how did you get into the transition of, I guess Northfield had closed, so that kind of like took that venue away, but what was God doing in this transition from retreat context, which people get together in unity and go to one place together, versus citywide context, which we often do in Connecticut, for example, where people go all sorts of places and rotate from place to place across the 10 days. Right. So um, keep in mind as we're going forward, um, every single year is like uncovering new ground. We just, we're always into something where we, we don't know what we're doing. And so the original 10 days vision had been of whole cities stopping and God had led us, you know, I tried to go out and, see basically a whole nation <laughs> enter into this. And it, that was the start of it. And it was like, well, that didn't work. And so then it was this sense of, well, let's start small. So we did it with a small group and then we did it in a retreat. And then after Northfield closed to us, um, there was this realization of, okay, this is now is the time for the city because that was what the vision was about. And then there was just this question of, well, how do you get a whole city to pray together. <laughs> what does that even look like? Um, and so, you know, we're like scratching our heads. Like there's no, I'm like, is there a book on this or something? And um, at the time I was very involved in the Beverly Salem area, Salem, Massachusetts. A lot of people know Salem and uh, kind of what you might consider the greater Salem area, the, the town surrounding it. And um, very involved we were going to church there, very involved with a pastor's group there that I was a part of. And so um, I just remember in a coffee shop one day writing out what this could look like and just brainstorming. And what if we had 10 churches, you know, just like, how would this even look? What if we had 10 churches and each church hosted a night? So it'd be like move from place to place. And we're just like writing, you know, we're just like writing this stuff down on a, notepad or the back of a napkin or whatever. And then, and then I'm thinking like, but what about the ongoing prayer? Like when people are really consecrated and praying ongoing in the retreats, that's where we saw the biggest breakthrough was with those people that were just there giving themselves fully to this. So we decided we'd have it go from church to church at night. You know, we'd have these meetings of worship, of prayer, of communion, and then we were talking about, well, how about the denominational barriers? What about the stylistic barriers? Some churches are, you know, uh, very charismatic. Some are very liturgical. Some are not comfortable with either of those things. You know, there's all these landmines. How can we navigate that? And what we realized was if we just let every church 
for every group lead worship and prayer and communion in their own way, that everyone would be happy, you know, and that would, that would honor their expression. Like it's not, we're not coming to them saying, Hey, we want to teach you how to have a good prayer meeting. We're coming to them saying, Hey, we believe you have something of value to give to the body of Christ. Would you lead us in worship and prayer? Would you lead us in communion? If you're comfortable with that, if you're not, that's fine. Um, and so that was kind of a huge um, just mental breakthrough of, okay, this is how it could actually look in the city. And then we also partnered with a local house of prayer to have not continual worship but and prayer, but, you know, th- throughout the day, uh, worship and prayer happening all the time um, so that people could, could really set apart that time to seek the Lord. Um, and so it was kind of exciting. It was like, okay, we're moving from this retreat into what this is always meant to be, which is a citywide event. Um, and so that was, that was how we, we moved into doing 10 days in a city for the first time. Wow. So we've experienced that. And one of the beautiful things when I say we, I mean, in Connecticut, one of the beautiful things about that is that when it goes from place to place and people have the freedom to worship and express themselves as they do, you it's such a rich diversity of all sorts of things. It could be ethnic communities. It could be traditions. It could be styles of worship, styles of prayer, um, physical attitude towards prayer. And I just, as a unity person, I'm sure you're like me, Like I love that. I think it is just like an amazing thing when you get to know the body of Christ. It's so rich to go from place to place and be a part of it where you're traveling around and you're experiencing God in these different ways in different parts of your city or your region. And uh, just incredible. It's it's so rich um, in that, in that experience. Right. Right. It's, it's amazing to be able to see um, the diversity and also the unity, like to realize, Oh wow, we're united around so much. Um, And even just, you know, in Salem, like we had some churches that were Spanish speaking, we had, you know, churches of all different kinds. Like I think our final night was at an Anglican church. And so it was like all high church Pentecost smells and bells, um, you know, but then we went from, you know, so you've got like this huge breadth of expression of um, charismatic, evangelical, liturgical, um, all these different elements weaving together and, and really like helping the body of Christ fall in love with each other. Um, by just taking that risk to go out and pray together. Um, It was definitely amazing. Um, And let me just tell you what the fruit of it that I saw most prominently, the fruit of it was we started to see a unity in our pastor's group that I had never seen before. Um, And there just started to be like this momentum in the spirit on this fellowship of, of church leaders there in the North Shore. Uh, that was pretty exciting. It was just exciting to hear them talk about how they were feeling. It was exciting to see the love that was present. Exciting to see like just that question of how do we take the next steps in this partnership? How do we, how can we work together more? Like what would God have us do uh, together? So that was just pretty cool to see happen. Um, So um, I want to share a little bit about what I saw that bothered me when we moved to cities. Um, okay. cause that's a part of the story too. 
Um, so what bothered me was it's harder in a city for people to take that whole 10 days off. And I don't think really anyone other than just a couple people was doing that. Um, most people would only come to the evening gatherings um, and wouldn't come kind of to the prayer during the day, the ongoing prayer. Um, and it felt like we lost depth. It felt like we went broader, like we got way more people involved than we'd ever had involved. <laughs> you know, and the nights would be like rocking and jamming. Um, but then it felt like we didn't go as deep. And I'm I'm a guy, if you say broad or deep, I'm like, oh, I always am going to choose deep every time, maybe almost every time. And, and so that was kind of grieving me like, God, oh, there's got to be a way to go deeper at the city level. I know in this vision, that's ultimately what we're going to see happen. Cities stop, but we're not there yet. And it was, it, it was just clearly harder to do that. Um, also, another pattern that was frustrating was, you know, people might go to, ch might go to their night at their church, but then not go to the other nights. Yep. And, um, you know, that kind of defeats the point. So during 10 days, like if you just go to one night, well, you're getting the benefit of having been to a prayer meeting, which is positive. Like it's a good benefit. But if you do the whole 10 days, it's it's like an exponentially more significant thing that God's doing in your life. And um, so those were some of the things that were kind of I was excited about the city model. And it was cool just to have this new vision of, oh, we have a way to do 10 days in a city now. Um, right. But those were some of the things that were kind of frustrations in my heart um in a, i think in a holy way where i was like seeing okay these are things we need to figure out how to address and we didn't know how to address them at that point yeah so that's a great point because it's as important as the miracles and the holy spirit experiences and the presence of god then there's the whole you know well what were some of the weaknesses and then how do we see this grow and be greater because I, I, that's the one of the biggest barriers, I think you'd agree, is to see the true desire for not only the whole city to stop, but the whole church to kind of stop the church routines or the church typical patterns. Because if we don't stop as the church first, like how would we ever expect the city to stop? So yeah, that's like, it's a big hurdle. And, you know, the institutional momentum of churches and styles and things and schedules and people's schedules and lives. It's, it's, it's hard to overcome that sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Busyness is definitely our biggest enemy. And then just those kind of established patterns. Um, why do you think but God to say this was to take, I'm sorry, we had the little lag there, but why do you think, why do you think it's so important to God that people take it so seriously enough that they're willing to try to stop from their busyness. They're willing to set it aside. Like, what is it that God is after? What, what is, what is different about when we do that? We see him show up. We all want revival. We all want these experiences, but why is God almost requiring of us to get more radical about it or go deeper or 
make bigger sacrifices like what what is that what is going on with that to in your from your perspective yeah um that's a great question um one you know one metaphor i would use to describe it is um it's about god wants to make changes in us if we're god's house you know a um like let's just say a house builder comes to you and says hey um you know, I know you want to put an addition on your house. So, um, you know, here's and, and then you say to them, well, yeah, I want an addition. Um, I'll give you two hours or I'll give you five minutes a day, you know, or or whatever. You know, that the builder is going to kind of say, well, you know, um, I'm going to have to knock out some walls and this is going to take some time. Um, so if you don't want to give that time, I'm not going to be able to do this. And so I think that's part of it. Some of the things God wants to do in our life just take more time. And so if you want that addition, if you will, if you want <laughs> if you if you want God to build out his work in your heart, um, you know, part of that is going to just it just practically take it, speaking. It requires the Lord requires time to do that. Um, and so I think, you know, a lot of times we're giving the Holy Spirit five minutes here, five minutes there, an hour here. Um, but if, if we give him more time, he can do like a deeper work, um, in us. So that's, that's one of the reasons, you know, I also just think it's about, um, you know, just God is definitely attracted to obedient sacrifice and he's attracted to extravagant love. Um, he's an extravagant God. He's attracted to obedient sacrifice and he's attracted to extravagant love. And I think he wants to kind of see what is our heart, what is our desire. And one of the practical ways that that can happen or one of the practical expressions is through periodically entering into these extravagant seasons of seeking God in obedience. Um, and it just I don't know how else to say it. It just attracts the presence of God so powerfully. Um, he's drawn to our voluntary weakness. Um, our voluntary weakness attracts his strength. And doing this is like a way of making ourselves weak in obedience, in hope of seeing his strength manifest. I don't know how else to explain it. Um, I it, should probably know more ways. Though, I, I'm just trying to grapple a little bit with um, making it a practical thing. Like when we want that house addition and the contractor says, no, look, you're going to have to have a tarp over it. You're going to have to go rent a hotel for a while, like maybe months. You're going to have to do this and this. It's like we accept that because we we it's almost as though it's very tangible. So therefore we make the sacrifice, but when it comes to faith and prayer, it's not so tangible oftentimes. And so it's almost out of that lack of tangibility. We wonder like the woman who went home that time saying, I don't know why God's not here. I'm leaving. It's almost as though we can't, I don't know. It's like, we can't see the value in it when we can't touch and taste it or it's you mean it's a, almost like we don't have faith? Not a guarantee that we're getting the addition, so maybe we're like, oh, I don't know if it's worth it. I, you know what I'm I'm getting at here, and the oh, church yeah. does yeah, it absolutely. too. I, like, the church does it too. Like we we have our routines. We do you know Sunday services this way, and it's like extended seasons of prayer. Yeah, that's nice for the people who pray, but I got stuff to do. Like. I don't know. There's something about the lack of tangibility of it that really 
prevents people from entering into it somehow. Yeah, I, I agree. It's, it takes faith. Um, it's also frustrating not being able to control the outcomes. Uh, that's, that was a lesson I kind of learned in the first year. Like I wanted to see revival and God was like, well, that's just not what we're doing right now. Um, this is still meaningful. Every year I've done 10 days has been different. Like I never get to control the outcomes. All I'm ever certain of is I know God's going to show up. Like I, that's for sure. Uh, we, but it, we have it this could be Greek very difficult. Mindset. We almost have this Greek mindset, this American mindset of, look, if we work hard and we build the blocks and do the this and the that, then we know we're going to get on the other side this result. And faith and prayer is not like that. And God's not like that. And I think it's because he's not looking at it as transactional or outcome driven or performance driven. It's really none of those things. It's about experiencing him and his love and his presence. And it's, it it doesn't come together in that kind of building block, put, you know, put the pieces together, follow directions and you get this outcome. You have this profit, you have this benefit, you have this thing. It's just not like that. So I don't know. Yeah. It's, it's, hard for us in the u.s to do because we're not like that it's interesting it's consistent like god is very consistent and he always shows up he always does things but you know it's and he's always the same but just what he does is always different we don't get to control god through prayer but we know when we pray he's always moving he's always acting and let me just share a story it kind of ties into what we talked about last time but it's an amazing testimony. It's an amazing answer to prayer. Um, you know, um, for me, honestly, I've realized like all that stuff you just talked about, Greg, getting to control things. Um, you know, I do feel that at times I do enjoy doing like a practical project, like, Oh, I just mowed the lawn and I can see that it is mowed now. You know, there is something satisfying in that or, Oh, I just built the thing. There it is. Um, but um, it's fun to contrast that with spiritual work. But, you know, it's so much more satisfying to see answered prayer, to see God do something incredible, something impossible, you know. And um, I think when we pray, we get to see impossible things happen. So uh, I mentioned last time how we got bumped out of our retreat at Northfield in 2009. And yep. so the, the property had been on the market for four years. It was priced at $40 million. It's a massive property, uh, dozens of major buildings. It's like a college campus, basically. And so our prayer had been, God, would you give this property to Christian owners to carry on the legacy of, um, you know, Dale Moody, the, a Christian legacy, without getting into all the details, um, the 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 previous college had, had really, you know, not maintained uh, the faith of D.L. Moody. They had fallen away from a, a Christian background and it just become kind of a secular, um, um, you know, college preparatory school, like many schools have done over the years in New England. And um, so we we're asking God to revive that legacy. So uh, one of our specific prayers had been like, God, would you, you know, maybe not 40 million, could you do it for 10 million? You know, which just seemed like pretty ridiculously low when you realize the real estate and all the properties there. And uh, I think some of the ladies had buried 
you know, kind of like a jar with <laughs> on the property, like this prayer of like 10 million and, um, you know, asking God to do this thing. And so that November, um, right after our 2009, 10 days, the property sold. And um, it was just such an amazing answer to prayer. And this gets into what I, I wanted to say. God, you know, when we pray, when we do what we think, we get to control it. But when we pray, we get immeasurably more than what we can ask, think, or even imagine. And that property sold to Christian owners. It was sold to um, a group that was representing uh, the Green family, uh, who are the owners of Hobby Lobby. And they came in with a vision to see kingdom work revived on that property. And it was sold for a hundred thousand dollars. So yeah. I, I'm buying a house right now and um, it's a single family house and it costs significantly more than a hundred thousand dollars. So, you know, to think about getting an immense property like that for that cost, it was beyond what we as people who were praying could ask, think or imagine. It's literally a hundred times cheaper than <laughs> we had asked. Um, so God just went above and beyond our prayer requests in answering that. Like, so that was, to me, that was an amazing um, response, an amazing um, cap on those initial 10 day prayer meetings at Northfield. That wasn't the only yeah, I mean, reason it, we were there. We weren't just there to, we weren't just there to pray about that, but that was definitely something that was a part of our assignment. And I just felt like, okay, if that's not an answer to prayer, I don't know what is. I don't. I don't know what else to say because it, it it was all our criteria, but just more. Yeah, I think that's you're tapping into something that's really important. That even though it's very satisfying to build a thing and know if you follow the plan, you work hard, you get your result, which is a little bit like scripturally, like you know if the if you. If you put your time at the plow in, the earth will produce and the sun and the rain will create a crop. But this thing about spending time with God and consecrated time away, um, it's almost as though you have to shift the mindset into a surprise. You know, it's like, well, we're, we're not doing this because we're expecting this or that. We're doing this because it's good to do. We sense that God's on it. He wants us to do this. And what he's going to do is, you know, it could blow us away. Like we, we have no idea, but that's good. That's like being a kid looking forward to Christmas and you don't know what you're going to get. You didn't say I'm getting that particular model of the bike and the 10 speed. You don't, you don't know. And then on Christmas morning, you open your presents. And when God opens these things up, we, we could never have guessed it. No one would have thought that that was a wise prayer to pray for the property for 100000 because who buys 300 acres for 100000 You just, in, in like near to a city, it doesn't happen. So, you know, this kind of thing is hard to wrap your mind around, but it's like almost as though if we put aside all our wants and desires, all of our things that, you know, we always will pray and ask God for. And we just like, let it rip, enter into it. Don't expect a thing that we're expecting. Um, and then we could just enjoy the amazing, miraculous benefit and fruit 
and watch what God does amongst the group of people in a city, you know? Um, so there's a, it's almost like in that sense, it's a blind faith of making this investment. Hmm. That's right. Yeah. I, I mean, I think sometimes we know like what God is going to do. Like we have a sense of leading from the spirit, like, okay, this is what's going to happen. But so often we don't. And um, just being okay with that, I think is a, a big part of what faith is. Like I didn't think when I began this journey um, that, um, you know, it would be however many years in now, 16, 17 years, and we wouldn't have seen a widespread movement of revival. You know, I, I never thought it would take that long. I thought probably it was going to happen the first year. You know, I just thought, oh, this hasn't been happening because we haven't been doing this. Well, that was wrong. You know, we're entering into God's plan. Now we've seen, you know, small out, outpourings of, we've seen God move like all the time. We just haven't seen some of these bigger picture things like the global harvest <laughs> inaugurate or whatever. Um, but sure, plus all, we all along the way, we also glorify like the stories of the past and like, oh, the first great awakening, the second great awakening must have been so amazing. People must have been riding around on magic carpets and it was just everybody was like ready to go to heaven. It probably wasn't like that, you know? Well, right, um, right. Yeah. And in fact, when we read those stories more in detail, it sounds more like these stories that we're describing. Like we're we're literally experiencing similar exactly. and the same things. Um, we're just seeking to see it happen sustainably and then seeking to see it happen eventually massively, but understanding that we can really trust the Lord. Like we can really walk this out with him. Like his way is really going to be better. Um, and, you know, I, as I hope people are picking up as we tell these stories, like every year we're growing so much in learning how to do like what God wants. <laughs> and, uh, you know, just that constantly launching out into the terrifying and the unknown um, and then just, you know, seeing God come through in amazing ways. And every year doing something new, something impossible, um, something that we didn't think we could do, seeing incredible answers to prayer. Um, I want to just speak briefly and then maybe we'll wrap this session up focused on 2010 um, the last, so 2010 was the seventh year since I had gotten the vision for the fall 10 days. And that year I was initially really planning to launch, um, 10 days in Boston, the fall 10 days, um, which we had previously called a time to mourn. Um, so that was our first name for it. Uh, we ended up just ditching that name and just calling it 10 days, which I think was good. Uh, but at the time, we were still calling it a time to mourn. And so my thought was to take the model we had done um, on the North Shore uh, in the Salem area, do that in Boston um, in 2010. And I got really involved in working with this solemn assembly, and um, uh, which was in Plymouth. It was during the 10 days of awe. And um, just interestingly, it was the seventh year since I had gotten the vision. I just felt like the Lord was saying, I want you just to lay this down this year and serve this other vision, serve uh, your brother who has this vision for the Psalm Assembly. And um, it's also kind of like a seventh year, like that sense of Sabbath rest. And so I was really hard. You know, I really wanted to see 
this 10 days happened in Boston in 2010, uh, but just mm-hmm. felt the Lord saying, no, lay it down, just let it die and um, let it rest. And so I really uh, did that. Of course, I myself and others are, you know, we did the 10 days, um, the fast and all the, all the different elements of it, but there was no citywide expression in 2010. Um, instead, just invested into the solemn assembly that happened in Plymouth. It was a really powerful um, time for the body of Christ in New England to come together, to seek the Lord, to just declare our dependency on Jesus and to confess our sins before him. Um, you know, several thousand gathered there at the Memorial Auditorium, or maybe it was 1,500. I don't know. Um, but it was just an incredible time. But that was just another part of the story was just being able to say, okay, I'm going to lay this down. Um, there's another brother who has this vision. I'm going to lay this down and I'm going to serve that vision. Um, and I'm going to give this a sab- sabbatical rest and trust that God is going to bring it back even stronger. Keep in mind at this stage of development, you know, it was like still so small and it just felt so vulnerable Um you know, to do that because you're not building year after year. You're just like laying something down. Um, and so that happened in 2010. Um, and that was, um, yeah, just a uh, notable moment in the journey. Uh, not a not a moment of we did something and this amazing thing happened, but a moment of I'm going to put this seed in the ground and it's going to die. And I'm going to see what happens after this, you know, just like in faith, in obedience, sensing that was what the Lord wanted. 